0: teams you care about the patriots are now closer to the bottom of the afc than the top that's a fact the stories that matter to you trevor story man he makes the red Sox much much better in 2022 this is your home for new england sports i'm just wondering what happens next for UVM because i think there could be a lot of turnover on that roster This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Monday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Full show tonight, all 90 minutes. We go right up until 7 o'clock. A lot of Red Sox stuff. We get you ready for the Celtics and Heat in Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals. We're going to talk later this week about the Patriots who started OTAs today. A lot of good uh audio coming out of Foxborough, a lot of stuff on Mac Jones, probably get into that tomorrow. But uh Abby Chin, Celtics insider and TV personality at NBC Sports Boston. She's gonna stop by at about six ten. We had said five forty five in our teases, move some things around. Abby Chin gonna be with us at about six ten. So look forward to having her in. You can get in as always on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury Text Line, 802-585-3026, your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Facebook Live, YouTube Live, my Twitter Live feed also. However you want to watch the show, you can do so there and get your comments in as well.
1: Five, four, three,
0: two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. They are Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. Here's the pitch. Swing and a high drive in a right field. Morbeck at the track. At the wall. Gone! A walk-off game-winning grand slam for Franchi Cordero. And the Red Sox win it 8-4. Yeah, and the Sox won at 8-4 yesterday. The Sox swept the Mariners. The Sox have won five straight. The Sox have won eight of ten. The Sox have thrust themselves back into playoff conversation, albeit on the fringes, but they're certainly in there. The Sox, simply put, right now are back. And they did a large portion of that being back this weekend, sweeping away the Mariners at Fenway Park, sweeping away my Mariners as I was there to see it yesterday. I know what you're all expecting. You're all expecting me today to come in and freak out. You're all expecting me today to come in and whine. You're all expecting me today to come in and complain about how the Mariners got swept and how they're... 17-25 17-25 and 25 and already one quarter into the season, likely done, not necessarily fully done, but after what we saw this weekend, I think it's pretty safe to say they're not a particularly good team. I know you're expecting me to, to freak out. I know you're expecting me to be enraged. I'm not going to be any of that today. I'm not going to go ballistic. I'm not going to be enraged. I gave my rant on Friday. If you want to hear me be upset about the Mariners, I gave my rant on Friday. I still feel all those things that I said on Friday, but I just can't go to that place again. You don't care about it anymore. The Mariners are not your team. The Mariners are my team. We need to talk about your teams and what they have done. And frankly, it's not really healthy for me to go to that place anymore. So quickly, I will address it. Here is where I stand on things with the Mariners after yesterday. I still love the Mariners. They're still my favorite team. I'm still going to watch. But I cannot allow myself to be as invested or to be invested on the same level right now. At this juncture, it just hurts too much. I need to watch games with a little bit more emotional detachment. I have decided, I decided over the weekend, I am going to stop allowing the Mariners to dictate my mood. I believe it's probably not healthy for any sports team to dictate one person's mood, but the Seattle Mariners have dictated my mood for far too long. I am not going to allow them to do that. If they win, that's great. If they lose, I'm certainly used to them losing. I can handle that too. I will just handle it. Better. So that's number one. Number two, I am going on my own personal little protest here. I think about 60% of my wardrobe is Mariners hats and t-shirts. I'm wearing none of it until they actually win a game. So if you're watching on the YouTube live feed, and you're like, oh, Brady's not wearing a Mariners thing today. That's why. Until they win a game, I'm done wearing Mariners clothing. If they Maybe I'll make it they got to win two in a row or three in a row, but I'm, that's my silent protest right now. So that's number one. Number two, there's this. At the very least, even though it came with my heartache yesterday, I saw something cool. It's not every day you get to go to a baseball game in general. I hadn't been into a to a major league game since 2019. It's not every day you get to go to a major league game in general. But really, it's not every day you get to see a walk-off Grand Slam. And that's how I'm taking this. I I saw them lose. I expected the Mariners to lose. That was my anticipation going in. It's not every day that you see a walk-off Grand Slam. At least if they're going to fulfill my self-fulfilling prophecy, at least do it in an epic way. Look. I've seen the Mariners lose in every way possible, right? I've seen them lose on back-to-back days of walk-off homers before. I've seen them lose on walk-off walks, walk-off errors, squandered scoring opportunities. I've seen the Mariners lose in every heartbreaking way imaginable. At least yesterday, I saw them lose in a rare way. If that game had ended on a run-of-the-mill sack fly, a run-of-the-mill fielder's choice, that's not that exciting. At least if they're going to lose, and they're going to melt down all weekend, at least give me the great capper to it all, and give me the rare walk-off Grand Slam. And, by the way, much better that I saw that happen in person than on television. Because if I saw that happen on TV... I'd be throwing remote controls and I'd be swearing up a storm and I'd be stomping around and I'd be acting like a two-year-old that didn't get their way at Toys R Us. I don't think Toys R Us exists that much anymore, but a two-year-old not getting their way at the toy store. If it happened on television, that's how I'd act. At least in person, I had to act with some level of decorum. I could just kind of sit there dejected and bewildered. Much better that I saw that happen in person Rather than on television. Because if it happened on television, all bets are off as to how I was going to be. And then, I've also got to say this. There were a ton of Mariner fans at Fenway Park. Certainly not overrunning the stadium. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to oversell it like that. But, you know, I'm used to just, I, I don't ever expect the road team at Fenway to have any kind of presence. There were a good amount of Mariners fans yesterday. I was actually shocked. At how many there were. And I'll say, it was oddly therapeutic to just kind of bask in our misery together. Because I'm a Mariners fan in northern New England. Okay, I'm on an island. I don't meet many Mariners fans. To be around this little jaded community yesterday at Fenway was oddly therapeutic. We would just look at each other and kind of give that look like, I know what you're going through, man. We've been doing it together for 20 years. like it was it was it was kind of fun, like hey I have like I have all these feelings I want to vent about, and I never have anybody that really cares enough to listen because nobody 's a mariners fan. There were people all over Fenway that I could just look at, and like that was all I needed to say it was It was a cool feeling, and what 's ironic is this props to this guy in uh, you know row h seat seventeen or whatever, there was a Mariners fan sitting next to me or in front of me rather before the game. And Mariners had lost to three games in a row prior to the Red Sox. So I just kind of looked at the guy, tapped him on the shoulder. I said, hey, buddy, how do you think we're going to find a way to lose today? And he goes, I don't know, man, but I'm sure they'll come up with something creative. I got to give that guy credit. He was underselling the word creative. I did not have Franchi Cordero walk-off Grand Slam on my bingo card. I didn't have that one. So when he said creative, he certainly meant creative. Bogart's walk-off double, sure. If J.D. Martinez had played walk-off single, sure. Walk-off air, even wild pitch, I would have picked all of them before Franchi Cordero walk-off grand slam. A guy that everybody wanted to run out of town a year ago, six months ago, three months ago, walk-off grand Props to that guy in front of me. He said they'd find a creative way to lose it, and they certainly did. I got to say also, for anybody who thought my rant on Friday was for dramatic effect or it was overblown, or it was unnecessary, or it was anything. I hope you realize that at what I said on Friday, like everything I said is true, and it was all proven and validated this weekend, was it not? It had like you had to see where I was coming from, right? I was mad on Friday. You blow a four nothing lead on Thursday. I was mad. I was real rip roaring mad about that when I came in on Friday. Well, what they found a way to one up that each subsequent game of the series almost Saturday five nothing lead. They blow Sunday walk off grand slam. Like I'm not lying to you people. This is my life for 20 years. The four games this weekend in Boston. That is my life for the last 20 years. I'm certainly not lying to you about it all. It's legitimate. I, I, the Mariners just might be cursed, but like my, my griefs are legitimate. So I hope you realize that and then three. This might be the most mature thing that I'm going to say here. This might be the most mature stance i'm gonna take on the whole thing. I was upset yesterday, you know, just i wasn't I wasn't angry I kinda like I said, I'd expect him to lose, but we're walking out of Fenway Park, and I'm kinda you know just kind of in disbelief as to what's happened, but i'm not again, I'm not really really sulking, and I see a couple of little kids, maybe five and seven, maybe four and six. Two kids wearing Xander Bogart's jerseys. And it hit me at that moment that somewhere in this park today, a baseball fan for life has been created. Some kid going to their first game got to see a Franchi Cordero walk off Grand Slam. And they're going to remember that forever. And even though my baseball fandom has been accompanied by 25-plus years of heartache, that kid's doesn't have to be. And and I'm being serious. I'm not trying to sound corny. I'm trying to spin this whole thing positively. I told you I wasn't going to go ballistic. Somewhere at Fenway Park this weekend, a kid became a baseball fan for life because of what they saw yesterday. And I hope that kid enjoys it because being a baseball fan is a hell of a ride. And it teaches you a lot. Being a baseball player teaches you a lot. Being a baseball fan teaches you a lot about patience, about perseverance, about dedication, about loyalty, about showing up every day. Being a baseball fan teaches you a lot. And it puts you through a lot over the course of a season and the span of a lifetime. That Somewhere in Fenway Park, a kid became a fan for life. And baseball needs more fans and baseball needs more young fans. So well yeah, I didn't walk away happy at Fenway. The game walked away healthier because there were kids that became fans for life. And that is how I'm choosing to take this. That is how like my, my angst is real as a fan, but this is how I'm spinning it positively. And I I by the way, I have seen a walk-off grand slam before, not among my team and not at Fenway. 2009, I was in San Diego for Mets Padres, and little-known utility infielder Everth Cabrera hit a walk-off grand slam off all-star closer and borderline Hall of Famer Francisco Rodriguez. So Everth Cabrera and Franchi Cordero have hit the two walk-off grand slams that I've seen in my life. That's pretty Crazy. Two little-known players that came out of nowhere to hit walk-off grand slams, and I've seen them both. So, And also, ironically, for as bad as the Mariners have been historically in my life, they actually tend to play pretty well when I'm in attendance. I went to the Red Sox-Mariners in 2018, Mariners won. Red Sox-Mariners 2019, Mariners won. I think the Mariners might have lost every game of those series except for the ones that I was at. So losing yesterday, seeing the Mariners lose yesterday was actually kind of a rarity for me. When I go, they actually tend to win. So it had to even out some point. We're going to get to the actual Red Sox on the air, you know, or, or on the field here momentarily. Cause I actually got a lot of takeaways from the weekend and a lot of conversations, but I do want to tell you a bit about kind of the side show stuff yesterday, right? Like there was the game itself, which obviously I watched and saw, but the whole day yesterday was pretty cool. Sand's the final result for me. So I went with my friend Steve, who I hang out with at the American Legion. Everybody thinks I like joke about hanging out at the American Legion and eating Thursday night dinner there. It's not a joke. I really do go and I really do enjoy it and I really do make friends there. So my buddy Steve, we go down together and we watch, you know, so we're, we go to the game and we end up hobnobbing with the stars a little bit yesterday. It was actually very, very cool how all this went down. So. Tom Karen comes on the show every Wednesday, right, or comes on the podcast channel every Wednesday, whatever. So TC and I have a relationship. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to say that we're best buddies, but we're on a texting basis outside of just the show. So he had told me to come on out to center field, right, because Nesson's got the new studios in center field. And they used to be on, I think, Watertown, or in Watertown, Mass. Now they're in center field. They're right at Fenway Park. So TC invites us out there before the game and says, hey, come on out and see us. So we get out there, out to center field, and we see the Nesson booth, and it's Will Middlebrooks, TC, and Jim Rice. And they're doing the pregame show. At first pitch was 135, so pregame show ends at 135. I text TC, and I say, hey, TC, we're out here. You know, you told us to come out here. So he brings us into the studio brings us into the nesting studio shows us around for a bit talks for a little bit he was gonna go get lunch and the crew was you know they got they're on a tight schedule because they got to eat they they want to watch the game and analyze it so TC talks with us for a bit he's like hey why don't you come back later in the game we'll have a little more time then okay fine so we leave and we go hang out and we watch the game for five or six innings in our seats and our seats were great. They were right behind home plate and first level in the shade. Didn't experience the heat really. It was awesome. Awesome seats. Great place to watch a baseball game. So we walk back out there. It's a kind of a, it's not so much a difficult walk, but it's a long walk. And we go out there in the bottom of the fifth, I believe, maybe the bottom of the sixth. It was right when Story hit the home run. No, it was the top of the sixth. We walk out there. So we walk out to the Neston Studios and we see T C again and Will Middlebrooks and Jim Rice. And then Adam Frazier hits the two run homer that tied it at two. And then Story hit the three uh the homer in the uh bottom of the sixth that made it three two. So we're in the Neston Studios actually as all that scoring is going on. And we take a picture with Will Middlebrooks and Jim Rice and we shake some hands and Will and I are talking a bit Will lets me put on his 2013 World Series ring. So now, not only are we getting past security to go in the Nesson studios, we got TC showing us around the new digs, we're staying in the air conditioning where it's, you know, 58 degrees in there instead of 98 degrees, and then we get a picture with everybody, shake hands with the Hall of Famer Jim Rice, and then there's a picture of me floating around social media of me with Will Middlebrooks' 2013 World Series ring. I'm actually shocked that Will Middlebrooks carries around his 2013 World Series ring and that he let me wear it. I didn't ask him to wear it. He offered to let me wear it. So I take the picture and there's me with Will Middlebrooks's um, World Series ring. So that was cool. And then before the game, you know, I'm a radio nerd, right? This is what I do. I enjoy radio. So we're walking by Fenway and WEEI also has a studio at Fenway so I, I see the EEI studios and I take a picture of them from outside and you know we have some good relationships with the people at EEI because of the Red Sox and we get guys from EEI to come on the show here fairly regularly right like Mutt's been on and Brian Barrett from the uh, pregame show and Rob Bradford's been on and Lou Loney's been on and all these, you know will Fleming we've had all these guys on the show. So I take a picture of the WEEI studios, and I then kind of, I tweet out the picture at a lot of the EEI guys that, you know, we're kind of friends with, right? Barrett, Mutt, Bradfoe, Ken Laird, who's kind of a boss type there, but a guy that I know a little bit. So I tweet out the picture at him, and they're all kind of liking it and interacting with it, No, nothing crazy. Sixth inning comes, bottom of the sixth, we're down at the Nesson Studios. Well, Rob Bradford, he messages me privately And says, hey, where are you sitting? I've got a gift for you. And I'm thinking to myself, of all the guys that I messaged, Rob Bradford is probably the guy that I know the least. We've, we've only had Rob Bradford on this show one time. He's on the pregame show every night here on DEV, but in terms of interactions with me, Bradford and I have only ever spoken one time. We've interacted on Twitter, but in, in, you know, on the phone, on this show only one time. So I'm like, Rob Bradford wants to give me a gift. Is that, did he mean that for me? Am I supposed to respond to this? Is this really for me? I don't know. So I write back. I'm like, hey, we're behind home plate, but we're down at the Neston Studios now. We're hanging out with Tom Karen. He goes, great, I'll come meet you. And I'm like, okay. Rob Bradford really did mean to give me a gift. And he really does want to see me. So I'm like, that's weird. What is Rob Bradford going to give me? So, Rob Bradford, in addition to working at WEI.com, and in addition to working on the Red Sox pregame show, he also hosts a podcast, and the podcast is called Baseball Isn't Boring. And it's a great podcast, he talks a lot about it on the pregame show when he's on, and they've got t-shirts, right, the Baseball Isn't Boring t-shirts, they're white t-shirts, red writing where where the writing looks like seams, Baseball Isn't Boring. And I think a lot of the Red Sox guys on the team actually have them and rep these shirts. Like Xander Bogarts was wearing a Baseball Isn't Boring t-shirt the other day. The exact one. Rob Bradford brings me and my buddy Steve out. He brings us out the Baseball Isn't Boring t shirt So now... We've hung out with TC. I've, pl- I've paled out with Will Middlebrooks and Jim Rice. I've worn Will Middlebrooks' World Series ring. And Rob Bradford has gotten out of wherever he was to come down to the press box area, see us, and give us baseballers and boring t-shirts. Like, how can I be that bad? Yeah, my team lost. Yeah, my team sucks. But my work team just won five straight. They're now back in the playoff race. That helps me business-wise. And I've got the hobnob with the stars at Fenway Park. And it's my first live ball game in three years. I mean, I can't be that mad about it, right? All in all, sounds like a pretty good Sunday, despite the final result. And I saw a good game, right? Like, I saw a great game. I saw a game where Evaldi pitched great. I saw a game where Logan Gilbert, one of the top young pitchers in baseball, pitched great for Seattle for my team, who I happen to love. I saw, you know, the rare Adam Frazier pesky pole home run, which was crazy. It was the only ballpark it would have been a home run in. They always say, you don't, when you go to the ballpark, you don't know what you'll see. That ball shouldn't have been a homer, but it was. I saw Trevor Story in his fifth home run of the series. I saw a walk-off grand slam. And I got to hobnob with these people and meet some others. And that's stuff that I don't get to do every day. So, again, if you're looking for me to go ballistic today, it's not going to happen. All in all. It was a pretty good Sunday. Yeah, I would have liked if the Mariners would have won. I would have liked if the Mariners didn't choke away multiple games in the series. But they did. And we move on. And we've created some better and new relationships for this show, which makes me happy, too. Like, Will Middlebrooks is going to come on this show. He may end up coming on this week. No promises. But Will Middlebrooks may come on this show this week. Ironically enough, and I haven't said this, but... I have a very small side gig, right? Very small. Nothing all that crazy, certainly nothing that impacts my job here. But twice a month, I write an article for what's called Barrett Sports Media. And Barrett Sports Media is kind of the leader in sports media coverage. They do news and profiles and features, and there's a lot of guys just like me who are just in the business, who like the business, who... Write a couple of pieces. I'm not an important piece of the puzzle there, and it's not taking me away from here. But I've written five pieces or so. I kind of just started this in March or so. Well, the first piece that I wrote, or one of the first pieces that I wrote, was actually on Will Middlebrooks. So I had never spoken to Will Middlebrooks. I had never met Will Middlebrooks. I write this story. It came out last week. He loved it. He shouted me out on Twitter about how great it was. So did his wife, Jenny Dell, who works at CBS Sports and does, you know, NFL Sundays at CBS and is, is you have a former Nesson sideline reporter, so she liked it. So now I've met Will Middlebrooks. He's liked the story I wrote about him. He's gonna come on this show now. That that makes me happy. Any chance we can do to make this show better makes me happy. In spite of the Mariners' loss. Will Middlebrooks is going to come on. He liked what I wrote about him. He's going to come back on this show. Maybe Jenny Dell will come on the show sometime when it comes to to football season and she's sideline reporting for a Patriots game. We've created new connections. I I can't be mad at what happened yesterday. And then Steve, who's actually from Massachusetts, who I usually hang out with at the the Legion, he knew all the local haunts. He found me Charlie's roast beef in Middleton, Mass., and I had a great roast beef sandwich. And I had a Fenway Frank. And a Bud Light. It wasn't that bad a day. Everybody wants me to be miserable and crying today. I I did that on Friday. Yesterday was yesterday was actually pretty fun. So uh Ralph over in New York says, Good for you, Brady, you deserve it. That's all nice. Uh then we get Will in Plattsburgh who says, Wow, what a great trip to Fenway. Two texts from Plattsburgh here. Very, very cool. Um Travis, what positives did you take away from seeing the Mariners? Um, Logan Gilbert was great. Lo- the 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 future of the Mariners might not be as bleak as the past. Logan Gilbert was great. Julio Rodriguez, although hitless yesterday when I went, he did some fun things. He's one of the top young players in baseball. There are positives for the Mariners deep in there. This isn't about them. Okay, this is about this weekend was about the Red Sox and we're going to do our due justice on talking about the Red Sox right after the 6 o'clock hour, right after the update. couple of other messages here. Linda actually sent me an email, which I bring to the table today. She says, Brady, I hope you stayed for the whole game. What a crazy ending. Out at the plate, Dylan Moore drops the ball, but no, he didn't. But <laughs> uh, Then the walk-off grand slam, she says, sorry, Mariners. P.S., I'm 61 years old. I know your pain. And that's kind of what I had said the other day, that if you are a Red Sox fan, Under the age of 45, I consider you to be privileged, right? You haven't lived the heartache that I am living currently, right? If you are a Red Sox fan who's 45, the Red Sox won a World Series for you when you were 27. So you got your first Red Sox title comparatively five years younger than I, you know, than I am currently. So if you're under 45, I don't think you can relate fully to what I'm going through here as a Mariners fan. If you're over 50, if you're over 45, over 50, then we're kind of in the same boat. You were at least 30 when the Red Sox won. So, you know, I, I, that's kind of how I draw the line. She says she's 61. She gets it. She knows. She knows what the waiting is like. She knows what the hurt is like. She knows what the agony is like. Um, Tom in Woodstock, was there ever a point yesterday where you thought the Mariners would win? Not really, honestly. I mean, I'm, I am, as you can see why, I'm generally very pessimistic about the Mariners. And I think it's well warranted. There was one flashing moment of optimism in the top of the 10th inning. After the Mariners took a 4-3 lead and they had Ty France coming up with two men on against Diekman, I thought there was a chance. The Mariners' best hitter is up. There's two men on. If you could add on there, if you could put up a three spot or something, then you'd have a chance to win it. But when it stayed 4-3, I knew it was over. Right? That gifted runner at second base to start extra innings, that run is supposed to score. Like You're supposed to get that run in. So in my mind, I had it already at 4-4. Like, I knew the Red Sox were going to get in that run first. And then when you see it's Vasquez who gets a hit, and then Kike gets a hit, and like you just knew it was over. Like, there's no way they're going to hold them to one run. Ironically, you know, with the bases loaded and two outs, they got to an 0-2 count on Cordero before he hits the Grand Slam. So they could have gotten out of it, but no. There was never really a point I thought the M's were going to win. There was a fleeting... Pitch of optimism in the 10th. And uh, lastly, a lot of text today. Lewis and Middlesex, was that the craziest game you ever been to in person? Great question. It was up there. Like I said, I'd seen a walk-off Grand Slam before. It was probably the craziest actual game that I'd been to. But it wasn't, you know, it certainly wasn't. The top game and that it was like, I went to game one of the 05 world series between the White Sox and Astros and I saw Roger Clemens pitch in that game. That game was certainly more memorable. I went to the oh, 02000 ALCS Mariners Yankees where A Rod was playing for the Mariners and homered at the Yankee Stadium. The M's won two to one and Freddie Garcia was you know, one of the top young pitchers in baseball. And that game certainly meant more because it was a playoffs, but this game that's up there with the craziest. That's probably the craziest game that I've been to. All right, this closes the book, right? This closes the book on me talking about the Mariners. This closes the book on you having to hear about it. Trip to Fenway was great. For you all, Red Sox fans, and for me as a Red Sox supporter here through work, it was a pretty great weekend for you as well. Let's take a look at the weekend. On the other side of the national news update, what that we saw was real and what that we saw was fake. I think a lot of it was real. I'll start with the positives. I'll start with the positives. What we saw this weekend that was positive, that is real and is not a mirage. I'll tell you what those are. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com and streaming on the free WDEV radio app. Now it's back with Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM and WDEVradio.com. Yeah, Celtics victory, or F Celtics victory. <laughs> Red Sox victory song, now just toying with me. We heard it enough this week, and A lot of dirty water being played at Fenway. Sox sweep away the Mariners. They're going to get ready for a three game series on the road in Chicago to take on the White Sox beginning tomorrow. Sox off today. The Red Sox off today. So, uh, this is the Brady Farkas show. The Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line is open at 802-585-3026. Celtics are getting ready for game four tonight at the garden when they take on the Miami Heat. We are going to have Abby Chin of NBC Sports Boston with us here. It was going to be 610. It's probably going to be closer to 615 right now, but uh, Abby Chin, we are uh, getting her on here in about 10 minutes. Let's go to the Red Sox, okay? Let's look at the actual on field stuff the Red Sox did. Let's determine what's real. And what wasn't? The Red Sox have won five straight, four here against the Mariners. They're 19-22. and 22. They're only three games out right now of the final wild card spot. So they are on the fringes of the playoffs right now. And I know it's early, but they are in the discussion, whereas a week ago they were not. The Red Sox just beat what I think we can all agree is a reeling baseball team. The Mariners right now do not appear to be very good. We'd all agree with that. So my question is, Do you think that the Red Sox are good again, or is this all just a product of playing a bad baseball team? The Mariners right now have the exact same record as the Orioles. So the Mariners are bad. Do you think that what we saw out of the Red Sox is them being good, and do you think it's real, or are you not convinced yet and they just beat up on a team that is worse than them, and of which right now there are not many? 802-585-3026. I'll say this. I think that nearly everything that we saw this weekend is real. Not all of it is good. There is some bad in there, even, even despite the four wins. But I think, and a lot of it is good. But I think almost everything we saw this weekend out of the Red Sox is real. Even the bad stuff. And we'll get to that later in the hour. But let's stick positively here. One... I think the Red Sox are going to be in this thing. I think that's real. Two, I think Trevor Story's turnaround is real. And three, I think what Nathan Evaldi did yesterday is real. So I think those three things are real and they're all positive. I don't know if the Red Sox are going to have the horses to really compete for a World Series title. I'm not going there based on what we saw this weekend. I think they're likely still a third or fourth Fourth place team in their division, but they are going to be in the conversation for a long time. I think that's absolutely real. They've got a favorable stretch coming up. They're three games under 500 right now, but after Chicago, it's Baltimore, it's the Reds, and it's the A's, three more teams that are under 500 currently. They can certainly, the Red Sox, that is, can get back towards 500 and. They can continue to challenge for a wild card spot. I do not believe they're going to challenge for the division. I think they've done too much damage. I think their division is too good. But in this portion of the schedule, they absolutely can get back into it. I don't think that this weekend was just a product of beating a bad baseball team. You are supposed to beat bad baseball teams. The Red Sox did exactly what they are supposed to do. As a result... I think they have propelled themselves to at least the, it's interesting category. They are, they are going to be around the conversation. The Mariners, you look at conversely, the Mariners very well may be out of it now. The Mariners are only two and a half games back of the Red Sox. But the Mariners very well may be out of it. So like if the weekend had gone the other way, it could have ended your season. Instead, I think it's buoyed your season up to a point where you're going to be around the conversation for a long time and what I really loved what I really loved about the Red Sox this weekend is that the Red Sox didn't give away many at-bats like I don't recall very often Mariners pitchers coming out and just walking the ballpark right the reliever Wyatt Mills on that Thursday game he walked the ballpark but beyond that The Red Sox made the Mariners' pitchers work. They did not give up at-bats. They did not give away at-bats. They made Robbie Ray work. They made Logan Gilbert in the heat work. Yeah, Mariners' pitchers earned it at times, but the Red Sox were back to being tough outs. And that's what they weren't doing for the first month of the season. First month of the season, the Red Sox were easy outs. They were chasing everything. They were striking out a lot. They were helping pitchers out. This weekend, the Red Sox took the power back. They made you work. And that's what good teams do. They made your life tough. And that's what good teams do. I love that out of the Red Sox this weekend. Their approach, their discipline. Their tenacity, their ability to fight off tough pitches, and their ability to capitalize on mistakes. That is what good teams do. That is what the Red Sox did last year. That is what the Red Sox did this weekend. I think I think the turnaround you've seen in the Red Sox, I believe that that is real. The second thing I think is real is Trevor Story's turnaround. Six years, $140 million deal. I thought the Red Sox made a good decision in giving him that deal. It was less than Javier Baez. I think Story is better than Baez. It was less than Corey Seager by. It was less than half of what Corey Seager got. And I know that Seager's not double the player that that Story is. I think Trevor Story's turnaround is real, and I think he's going to justify that contract at least on this one-year basis. You know, from year to year, this year he's going to earn his contract. He is incredibly hot, and it extends beyond even. The Mariners series. He's just figuring it out. He's getting comfortable in the lineup, comfortable in the ballpark, comfortable in the city, comfortable in the organization. He's going to have staying power this year. You look at Trevor Story's homestand. Over the course of the homestand, let's see, seven games. Trevor Story had six homers. That was first in baseball in that stretch. He had 14 RBIs. That was first in baseball in that stretch. He barreled up the most balls of anybody in baseball in that stretch. He was first in slugging and was first in OPS. I don't believe that Trevor Story's weekend is just a result of playing a bad team. You look at what Trevor Story did. Four of Trevor Story's five home runs against the Mariners were against real, bona fide, big league arms. Trevor Story hit two home runs off George Kirby. One of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball. He's certainly no schmuck. This is no 4A call-up. This is a guy who could be potentially a front-of-the-rotation arm and a possible Cy Young-caliber arm for Seattle. And Trevor Story took him deep twice. Trevor Story took Robbie Ray deep for a grand slam. Robbie Ray has been in the league for a while and won the Cy Young last year. That's no Joe Schmo out there on the mound. Logan Gilbert has been one of the few bright spots for Seattle. ERA under three, bunch of strikeouts, 97-mile-an-hour fastball, and Story took him deep yesterday. So he's doing this off of real arms. This isn't off of guys that are going to be back in AAA or on the waiver wire later this week. Four of the five home runs were hit off real arms. Top-notch pitchers. He homered off fastballs. He homered off sliders. He hit premium velocity. A guy who's gonna be a Cy Young con- uh, contender someday, and maybe two. And a guy who's already won a Cy Young. This turnaround is real. This is turnaround is real. We said all along that Trevor Story's swing would play well at Fenway, and every home run he hit all season thus far, especially at home, has been to center or left. Remember, we t- we spoke to Buster Olney on April 1st and here's what he said about story swing listen to this April 1st Buster Olney uh, I,
1: I actually think he's going to do better than that Wow Take the
0: over on that I would take the over on that I, I, on that. Uh, I think that you know he's a uh, someone who can pull the ball pretty well uh, I remember last year when we were getting ready for the home run derby and I talked to Trevor about sort of
1: where's the typical area where he's going to do his damage and he talked about hitting the ball uh, you know, to straightaway left field and down the line. And, you know, that if uh, you're a hitter in Fenway Park and you get the ball in the air, let's face it,
0: uh, that's a pretty good place to hit the ball. There you go. We knew that Story's swing was eventually going to play to Fenway, and you're seeing it now. He is figuring out how he wants to hit in that ballpark, and he is capitalizing on its features. Trevor Story's turnaround is real. Lastly, I also think Nathan Evaldi's turnaround is real. Avaldi was awful on Tuesday, right? Five home runs in one inning. Historically bad against the Astros. He also, um, you know, has been hit by the home run ball this year. His numbers going into yesterday, I think a 4-3 ERA, his numbers were not great going into yesterday. Well, yesterday he had 11 strikeouts and pitched into the seventh inning. Avaldi was very, very good yesterday. And I believe that what we saw yesterday, is not just a product of playing a bad team. I think that's just closer to who Nathan Ivaldi is. Between my starts I tried working on uh you know previous few starts I've been working on my slider a lot and I feel like I kinda of started getting around it a little bit more to create the slide and I felt like it took away from a lot of my other pitches. I got back to <clears throat> kind of the basics for me of just sticking the heaters down in a way, but making sure that I'm getting them down in the zone. You know I've- i I I think Evaldi did a really smart thing yesterday. He pitched backwards and he used his splitter more. I remember talking with Tom Karen earlier in the year saying, I've thrown a lot of curveballs. And I had to go back to the numbers. I was wrong on this. He's always thrown a higher percentage of curveballs than splitters. And that really surprised me because I think of his splitter as so much better than his curveball. Yesterday, he threw far more splitters and he was excellent. He was excellent. He pitched backwards. He got ahead. He he challenged guys with the fastball when he needed to, but he had guys guessing, right? He used the splitter early in the game. He used the fastball later in the game. He kind of, he just pitched backwards. And I thought, by and large, he had a really good plan. He threw 28% splitters yesterday. I think he'd been about 17% for the rest of the season. I, I, I think what Nathan Evaldi did yesterday, make an adjustment, yeah, okay, the Mariners aren't a great lineup, but it's still a lineup, by the way, that put up five runs on Garrett Whitlock in three innings the day before. Like, they can do something. And Ivaldi shoved it for seven, for almost seven innings yesterday. And really, the Fraser home run is an illegitimate home run. It's not a home run in any other ballpark. I, I, I think Ivaldi, I think what we saw yesterday out of Avaldi was real. And I think it's very, very, um, very, very reassuring, because I know he's not the guy that pitched on Tuesday against Houston. I believe he is the guy that we saw yesterday, at least much more so that guy. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, we'll get back to the Red Sox. I've got a couple things that are negative that I think are real as well. We'll get to that uh, later in the show. But now, I want to talk Celtics. We've gone this whole show and haven't talked Celtics. Celtics getting ready for the Miami Heat and TD Garden tonight, Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals. C's are down two games to one. Disappointing loss on Saturday. Boston looking to even the series at two games apiece before we head back to South Beach. Joining us now on the phone line. By the way, tip-off is 8.30, a little over two hours from now. Joining us now on the phone line is... Celtics insider and personality over at NBC Sports Boston, Abby Chin. We see Abby Chin all over NBC Sports Boston Celtics coverage. We've seen her in the studio. We've seen her on sideline reporting duties. And she uh, is with us on the phone line now. Abby, two hours plus still game time. And C's are looking to even up the series. How are you? Thanks for being with us.
1: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I am uh, not quite sure what to expect tonight. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I could say differently.
0: Nervous, uh, anxious energy certainly is uh, is the story going into this one. Um, we know the reports. They're out. Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, questionable. Tatum seems good to go. I'm going to assume Williams and Smart play, but how banged up do you think the Celtics really are and what kind of impact does it have?
1: Well, I mean, clearly they are very banged up. The fact that Robert Williams has missed a number of games, he missed four in the Milwaukee series and continues to be day-to-day here, I think is relatively concerning, especially when you saw just how much impact he made for the Celtics in Game 3. Mark is smart. I mean, I think that someone must have some sort of voodoo doll, you know, just pushing pins all over his body because it feels like every game there is something different. The ankle last time and then he had that side contusion that kept him out of a game in the milwaukee series um things just continue to add up in that same game he had a shoulder stinger and an elbow so it's i they are clearly banged up but also so are the heat so there's no question this has been a physical physical series the celtics coming off a very physical series against the bucks and everything is taking its toll but i I did ask uh jalen brown about that before this series with the heat started how much do they have left and he said at this point everyone is dealing with something it is mental and we have got to push through
0: you know ime udoka said we actually said this after both games the celtics have lost in this series he's talked about miami's physicality and how the celtics have failed to match the heat in that regard how do they answer the bell tonight physicality wise and intensity wise
1: the thing that has struck me the most about this team this season during this playoff run is just how resilient they have been and, and, and able to bounce back. I mean, they haven't lost consecutive games at home since January. Yeah. And as we know, that's when the turn and the surge really started for this group. And they haven't lost consecutive games altogether since late March. And that was in the second game they were missing for their starters. So I do believe they will be able to bounce back. I think that um, the thing that I find most, it's not concerning, it's um, confounding, is that the Celtics know that Miami is going to come at them with this level of physicality. They know what's coming, and the fact that they aren't able to kind of flip the switch and match it um, is what I don't really understand why that continues to happen and has happened more than once.
0: You mentioned Miami also being banged up. They certainly are. Kyle Lowry was in in game three, although not 100%, but he certainly made an impact. Jimmy Butler looks like he'll play tonight, but he may be compromised. P.J. Tucker the same. But we know that Tyler Hero won't play tonight. He was sixth man of the year in the NBA. How does that impact what the Heat do, not having Hero there?
1: I think it's the possibility that it has a big impact there. I mean, Tyler Hero is a guy who could go off at any moment, as we saw In the 2020 Eastern Conference Finals when he put up 37 against the Celtics in one game. But in this series in particular, he has not gotten hot yet. And I think we saw the impact that Victor Oladipo made in the second half of Game 3. And defensively, what Victor can do if he is all in really gave the Celtics some problems. I, I believe they will adjust for that going forward. But Tyler Hero is just another person defensively that the Celtics need to account for. On that
0: end and the fact that he won't be available tonight does hurt the heat. Abby Chin, Celtics Insider, NBC Sports Boston with us here in the Brady Farkas show just hours away from game four of the Eastern Conference finals. sees looking to even up the series at the Garden at two games apiece. You know, I read a headline from one of your Boston media competitors that said that PJ Tucker is winning the psychological battle with Jason Tatum. Does that seem true to you or does that feel like media clickbait?
1: Uh, No, I I would not say that's true. I think P.J. Tucker, there's no question the impact that he is making in this series with his physicality. But I I don't think that is mentally impacting Jason Tatum. I think that um, we have seen from Jason in his ascension as a superstar in this league, he will figure it out. It it may take him some time, but he will figure it out. I don't think it's necessarily... um, I think that that's silly, but from what I've seen and what I know of Jason, it's not something that is possible to really get in Hmm. his head like that.
0: You know, I think there's a case to be made for about four different guys on the Celtics, and maybe it's all of them at at, at any particular time, but who do you think is the true on-court leader of this team?
1: On-court, and I mean, you know, inside the huddle, I would say Marcus Smart, followed closely by Al Horford, Hmm. when he... He has really been challenged to speak up more. And you know that when he speaks as the veteran that he is, everything that he's experienced, guys listen. Um, and then there's no question we saw how much the Celtics missed Marcus in those games when he's out, that he instantly raises that level of physicality and urgency the moment that he steps on the floor. But you can't discount Jason and Jalen as well. They have been challenged by Ime Udoka from the start of the season to step up, be more vocal get out of their comfort zone when, when it comes to being a leader and each of them while doing it in their own way have accepted that challenge and their teammates will tell you that
0: you know what one of the biggest differences between brad stevens and Ime Odoka seems to be I, I don't necessarily think it's calling guys out in the media that makes it sound too negative but eme Odoka is very very honest and transparent what effect do you think his transparency has on his players
1: a huge impact i mean we've seen that all season long i think that um, it was really shocking for all of us in the media who have been there every day because it was such a change from the way Brad Stevens handled things. But it has clearly resonated and reached these players. They told us they want to be held accountable, not just by the coaching staff, but by each other as well. And so that is something that has developed throughout the season. And, and I think that the surge, the fact that they have been able to bounce back, The way that they have, that speaks to Imei and the way that he reaches these players and the way that he challenges them.
0: You know, we had like four days off between game one and game two of the first round series against Brooklyn. This series on the opposite end feels incredibly compressed. I'm actually surprised we're not seeing more downtime. What do you make of the nature of the playoff scheduling?
1: No, I agree with you, Brady. I know I am exhausted going yeah, every I'm sure. other day, <laughs> and and especially with the travel because it's not you know like you're going to Brooklyn where it's a 45 minute flight and you can come back that the night of the game. The Celtics are using that off day for travel, which is less than ideal, and so um, it is. It's rough. It, it's the way the NBA has laid it out, and it um I you know because they want to have action every other night and. It's not surprising to anyone. What I am concerned about is looking at the Western Conference and seeing that the Warriors may be done three or four days before the winner of the Eastern Conference, who is battling it out, grinding in a very physical series. So um, I think that that we'll have to wait and see what that means for the NBA final.
0: Abby Chin, Celtics Insider, NBC Sports Boston, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show. Just as a media nerd, I'm curious about this because you have multiple roles at NBC Sports Boston in terms of you do studio hosting as well as sideline reporting, on-court reporting. How do the jobs differ? Not so much in terms of responsibility, but in terms of your demeanor, delivery, et cetera. I'm just curious.
1: It is very different and, and I honestly couldn't have told you how different, um, <laughs> if it weren't for last season when I was in the studio every day. Yeah. And, um, you, it's a different view of the team, really. I feel like when I was in studio, you have to look at the big picture. Every game isn't, is, is part of the bigger puzzle. Whereas when you're in it every day and, and going, I am just trying to get through day to day. The next report, it's, it's much more, um, I don't want to say detail oriented because it is, it's detailed, but it's, it's day by day, game by game. And I, and I feel like you're telling each story differently. Whereas in the studio, you're looking at the season as a whole and trends and which way things are going. And it's also very different being embedded and there every day, seeing them, talking to them, getting, feeling the demeanor of the team versus in the studio where you're just outside and, and it got last season in particular got very negative because you're on social media and seeing all of that conversation happening live, and um, so it's hard to really kind of focus in and and imagine what it is like in that locker room. And I don't think anybody had a feeling of what it was like last year because of the pandemic. So I am so glad to be back on the sidelines. (laughs) I've really enjoyed this season, in short.
0: If history is any indication Jason Tatum's due for, like, 37 points tonight, do you think that that plays out that way and the C's take this game for?
1: I... He hasn't showed anything different. You're yeah. absolutely right. In these playoffs, after he's had rough games, Jason has shot no worse than 50% from the field, scored no less than 27 points. So, yes, I, I do believe that will bear out, and I will continue to believe that until I'm proven wrong.
0: Abby Chin, NBC Sports Boston. Abby, we appreciate your time, your perspective here just hours before a crucial game four. Look forward to watching you and your teammates on television throughout the rest of the playoffs. Thanks for the time. Thank you. Absolutely. Abby Chin, NBC Sports Boston. One of the best. It's really a fun, um, NBC Sports Boston team, right? Abby Chin, Chris Forsberg, um, you know, Brian Scalabrini, Kendrick Perkins. It's a really, fun, I really do like the NBC Sports Boston coverage. So really good stuff there with Abby Chin. My first time speak with Abby Chin, I thought she was great. Um, and a lot of good stuff there from someone who's very much in the know. We are two hours away from game time here, and i hope I hope that Abby chin is right because no what what did she say at the very end no less than fifty percent from the floor and no less than twenty seven points from Jason Tatum following a bad game. remember how good Tatum was game six against Milwaukee he did not play well game five Celtics lost at home in game five they go to Milwaukee Tatum goes for forty six like you don't need forty six but an efficient Tatum where he can get going and does it, you know, in 25 shots. Like, if he can get 32 today and do it efficiently, Celtics are going to win this game, right? If he goes for 10 again, then they're in, a, they're in much more trouble. But if he can go for 32 and do it efficiently, Celtics will win this game. Um, I totally agreed with her about the leadership portion. I think there's something in there I want to take for tomorrow as well, but... I think all four of the guys she mentioned, right, Smart, Tatum, Brown, and and uh, Horford, they all kind of have their own style. And they all do it in their own way, but I think all four of them are leaders for this team. I found it interesting that Abby Chin discounted Tyler Hero. She discounted Tyler Hero. She didn't think he's much of a factor. Now, he was a factor in the first half of Game One, right? That he kind of staying afloat in Game One in the first half was largely because of Tyler Hero. So interesting, she doesn't think he's you know, much of a factor at all moving forward in this series. She was right, though, about Victor Oladipo. Victor Oladipo was a huge part of what happened in Game 3. A huge part of what happened in Game 3. And I didn't ask a question about him. She brought him up. But he didn't play at all in the first half. And then Jimmy Butler gets hurt. He comes in in the second half, plays 20 minutes, has four steals. In 20 minutes, Victor Oladipo had four steals and had eight pass deflections. Victor Oladipo was great. We will see what happens tonight. Looking at the injury report up to the minute, things just coming in right now. Looks like Jimmy Butler's going to play. P.J. Tucker, Tyler Hero's out. That's Miami. For the Celtics, Rob Williams is going to play. Marcus Smart still very much questionable. So I had told Abby that, hey, I'm just going to assume, basically, that Smart's going to play. That might not be the case. If Smart doesn't play, then the Celtics are back to being in trouble. I think the Celtics should win this game. They're at home. I think they are flat out, I think they are better than Miami. They have more star power than Miami. I think that they have the best scorer in this series in Jason Tatum. I think the Celtics should win this game. You start playing without Smart, and a limited Rob Williams, you're back to being in trouble. I'm still going to pick the Celtics. I think Tatum will supersede these concerns, and I think that he will go off in the way that he's gone off prior. But Marcus Smart, if he's not there, that is a concern. We will get to more Celtics stuff towards the end of the show. We will get to more Celtics stuff at the end of the show. But when we come back... I told you I thought that most of what I saw this weekend from the Red Sox was real. A lot of it was positive. There were a couple of things I saw that were negative that were real as well. I'll tell you what those are. That's next the Brady Farkas Show. Now it's back with Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas, show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Remember, no Red Sox baseball tonight. Sox on the field in Chicago tomorrow for a three-game set with the White Sox. And this will be a much bigger test for the Red Sox. White Sox are playing better baseball of late as well. They just won a series with the Royals. I know the Royals are bad, but Sox had a weird five-game series. It took three of five. They just took two of three from the Yankees. They're all riled up after the Tim Anderson and Josh Donaldson things. So I think the Sox have some momentum. They're going to be at home. It's going to be an interesting series here. This will tell you a lot about the Red Sox. I think that what we saw against the Mariners, I think a lot of it is real for the positive. This will be a much bigger test playing the White Sox on the road, that lineup, even though they're banged up, that pitching staff, and that team just swept you, right? The White Sox just swept the Red Sox at home at Fenway two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whatever it was. Much bigger test coming up. I told you that most of what I think we saw this weekend for the Red Sox was real and most of it was positive. But there were a few things that happened negatively this weekend that I also think are real that we need to take note of. One, you got to remember you got behind four nothing and five nothing in two separate games to a Mariners team that isn't very good. Make no mistake, at best, the Seattle Mariners are injured and unlucky. At worst, they're just plain bad. You got down 4 nothing on Thursday and 5 nothing on Saturday, and you blew a save on Sunday. That can't happen too often, because against good teams, against teams that are not reeling in the way the Mariners are, you don't come back from those kind of things. Against Seattle right now, against Baltimore, against Texas, against the Reds, you can come back from four nothing or five nothing early. But if that's Justin Verlander on the other side, if that's Shohei Otani on the other side, or Lucas Giolito, or Garrett Cole, or any good pitcher from any of the good teams in the American League, you're not coming back. We can say how great the weekend was for the Red Sox, and it was great. But we also have to admit and look yourself in the mirror and say you can't be getting down 4 nothing and 5 nothing against bad teams and generally bad lineups. The Mariners are currently 17th in the league in batting average, 20th in runs scored, 18th in slugging. It's not a great lineup. And you gave up a three-run homer to 180 hitting Dylan Moore. Luis Torrens is under 200. He had an RBI. Eugenio Suarez tied the game yesterday. He's hitting 215 like... It's good to look at your team and say, hey, we're a resilient group. Hey, we don't back down. Hey, we don't quit. That's good. I want my team to have that quality. But also, why are you getting down 4 nothing and 5 nothing in two separate games? Why are you blowing saves in the bottom of the ninth inning with two outs? The Red Sox, very easily, that series should have been a split. Can we acknowledge that? That should have been a split. The Red Sox' resilience and the Mariners' badness played it into a sweep. But against a good team, that is a split. So yes, the weekend was special. I'm 100% with you, Red Sox Nation. Anytime you can sweep a four-game series, doesn't really matter how you do it, and that's good news. But if you look down at the bedrock of everything, you be like, we got down four nothing and five nothing in two of three games against a not very good team. You can't be doing that. If we want to talk about the Red Sox seriously as a playoff contender, look, if you want to write the Red Sox off and just say, Hey, it was a fun weekend at Fenway Park, did fine. Then I'll just say, you know what? It was a fun weekend and we'll move on to something else. But if you want to talk about the Red Sox as being a serious playoff contender, you cannot be getting down 4 nothing and 5 nothing Because if you get down 5 nothing against the White Sox tomorrow in the third inning, you're not coming back. That's not going to happen. With the arms that they have in their bullpen, with some of the top-end starters that they have, you're not coming back from that. Okay, if that's Lucas Giolito, if that's Michael Kopech, you're not coming back. So, you cannot afford to get down 4 nothing and 5 nothing. Again, here, Mariners, Orioles, Reds, A's, this next three weeks, you might be able to do that more than once. And it will be fun. But when it counts, you cannot afford to do that against somebody else. You just can't. So I think that we have to acknowledge that it's real, that it's a problem that you got down in those two games in that way. Number two I think also is negatively real. The back end of the bullpen is still a major question mark. The bullpen as a whole did a nice job, right? Keeping the offense around long enough to stay in it. Overall, the bullpen did a nice job. The back end of the bullpen was not great. I don't trust Matt Barnes. He gave up two hard hit balls in that Saturday game. I don't trust him. You have... What? Roblis blow it in the ninth yesterday. You have Diekman who gave up, you know, a couple of hits in a run, although the the gifted runner in the tenth. The back of the bullpen is a real question. And against better teams that make you work a little bit more or have deeper lineups, that back end of the bullpen is still going to continue to be a problem. Okay. I think the is pretty good. I like Austin Davis. I like Strom. I like Houck in, in a certain role. But the ninth inning is different. The team has blown, I believe, 11 saves this year. Robles, I think his last five outings have not been good. Diekman has allowed more than 50% of his inherited runners to score. I don't trust Barnes at all. Robles, I love him at times. He certainly has moments, but he also has moments like yesterday. End-of-game situations will continue to be tough for the Sox. And again, when you play a team like the White Sox for the next three games, if it's 4-3 in the bottom of the ninth, I don't know who you honestly turn to comfortably and say, okay, that guy's getting us three outs, and there's no questions asked. You used to have, you had that for a moment, for a couple of years with Craig Kimbrell, you had that for half a year last year with Matt Barnes, you don't have that anymore. You are in a situation where the back end of your bullpen will continue to be a problem. And we need to acknowledge that. And we saw it this weekend. And finally, the thing that was also concerning to me this weekend that I think is real on the negative front is... I think Garrett Whitlock's struggles as a starter are noteworthy. would not say concerning... Would not say I'm off the Garrett Whitlock bandwagon, but they're noteworthy. Now, I know he says he was sick on Saturday, not COVID, but he was, you know, he was not feeling very well, but he allowed five runs in three innings. He allowed 10 hits in three innings. The Mariners were all over him. We'll give the Mariners some credit. They went in with a plan. They put up five runs in three innings on him. I believe Whitlock is a starter long term. I believe he should remain a starter now until Chris Sale is back and James Paxton is, you know, somewhat available to you. I don't believe that this bad start should move him back to the bullpen, but acknowledge that the struggles are noteworthy and that they are real. It's not always going to be easy for Garrett Whitlock. I believe he can be a top-of-the-rotation arm. I can, I believe he can be a starter long-term, but it's not going to be easy all the time. There is a real learning curve here, and Seattle was all over him. He's going to have to keep adjusting and then readjusting. So for as good as the weekend was, there are still concerns for your Red Sox. Every team has them. I'm not here to disparage what the Red Sox did this weekend, but the White Sox are hot. They're a far different animal than what you saw for seven of the last 10 games. When you play Seattle and you play Texas, you're seeing a different, you're, you're seeing a lower quality of baseball team right now. Red Sox will have an opportunity to prove that everything we saw this weekend can carry over against a good team when they take on the White Sox tomorrow. Tomorrow our coverage will begin, by the way, at 7:10. So we will have a full show, 90 minutes. We'll go up until 7:10. Uh the next couple of days here as the Red Sox take on the Chicago White Sox for 3 in Chicago. We will step aside and we will come back. We'll give you the keys to the game, Celtics and the Miami Heat. Any word yet? on Marcus Smart's availability, and what are those keys. We'll tell you about it next as the C's go to even the series. Now it's back with Brady Parker show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas' show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text lines open, 802-585-3026. Reminder, the show is brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school. They're online at ProDriverCDL.com. They can help you with your Class A CDL, your Class B CDL, passenger and advanced skills training as well. Again, it's CDL. Celtics and Heat kicking off here about an hour and a half from now. 8.30 is the tip off of TD Garden. You know that means it'll be about 8.45. So uh, the update on both Robert Williams and Marcus Smart is that they are questionable. Eme Odoka says... That they're going to know within the next 15 minutes whether they can go or not. I think this team needs Smart, obviously, more than they need Williams. But they really could use both. I thought I had seen earlier that Williams was in. I'm going to go into the assumption they're both going to play. But if it's this close to call, then Marcus Smart is going to be more limited than I had hoped for. I I think they're going to play. That's just my gut. I cannot imagine Marcus Smart missing another game here. But... If he plays, he's certainly not going to be 100%. Like, the keys to the game, they're not rocket science for the Celtics. Like We've played three games now in this series. We've played more than 90 games in this season. There's not a whole lot unknown about these two teams to each other. There's all the game film. There's all the meetings from, each other, you know, from playing each other this year. We know all the players. The, the keys to the game are not rocket science here. Number one... The Celtics need to not turn the ball over, right? Like at the top of your list, if you're Ime Udoka, the Celtics need to not turn the ball over. They turned the ball over 24 times. 24 times the Celtics turned it over in Game Three. Miami had 19 steals in Game Three. That's the second most steals ever in an NBA playoff game, I believe. I read. 24 turnovers in a 48 minute game. You cannot win many playoff games turning the ball over once every two minutes. Like how many possessions do you get in 22 minutes? In two minutes, let's just say 24 second shot clock on each side. Basically, you're probably going to get, let's just say, you get three possessions in two minutes, four possessions, and you've turned it over once out of every four possessions. You're not going to win doing that. You are not going to win doing that. And Look, the Celtics were in it at the end despite that. They were down 25 at one point point. got it down to 1, 93 to 93-92. Can't turn the ball over at that rate, though, and expect to beat playoff teams. You cannot give games away. And sometimes, like, you can give the game away in a couple different ways, right? You can give it away defensively. You can give it away offensively when you turn it over 24 times. The Celtics need tonight good ball movement, smart playmaking. They need to be decisive. They need to be good, you know, they just need to be they just need to be crisp. And I think they're going to be. I think the Celtics are gonna win this game, but you cannot be careless, you cannot be lazy, you cannot be any of those things. You've got to clean it up. Because twenty-four turnovers, a turnover every two minutes, is not gonna win you this game. And then they need Jason Tatum to be better. Like again, I told you, it's not rocket science. Don't turn the ball over. Jason Tatum be better those are, those are your two big keys to the game 10 points for Tatum but three of 14 shooting I think like that's not going to cut it Jason Tatum has turned into a superstar in these playoffs he needs a superstar effort again does he need to go for 50 no does he need to go for 30 and be efficient I would say yes if you want to win this game if you want to put it away Jason Tatum's got to be a huge part of it you can this is a must win game you cannot get down 3-1 in a best of 7 when you don't have home court advantage this is must win Celtics have won an elimination game in this playoffs they beat Milwaukee on the road at their place they can win this game they should win this game but we all it's so overused when we say oh it's a must win game this is not overusing it this is the real thing if you get down 3 to 1 And you've got to go back to South Beach down three one and the Heat have home court advantage, you're done. You would be done. This this is must win. And I think the Celtics are going to win. I think Tatum delivers the star effort, but you're gonna need to find you know, you're gonna need to uh find that next gear and you're gonna need to up the physicality because as Name Odoke has pointed out, this team has not responded well to Miami's physicality. Has not responded well. And they're gonna need to. Um, okay. Let's see. Anything we want to get we're looking for a last minute update here if we've got anything. Uh yeah, email Odoka said just a minute ago, yeah, both are getting tested in the next fifteen minutes, and we'll know if Williams and Smart are gonna play after that. I Okay. Oh, let's see. Yeah, nope, still just questionable <laughs> the uh Tatum is, listed it's prob- probable. Remember, he had that shoulder injury he, from the other day. He, he's good. He'll play. But uh Marcus Smart's ankle is, quote, quite swollen. You're really going to need a Tatum big effort. Because if Smart, it, Smart sounds like he might be 60% at best. He cannot carry the load like he did in game two. Jason Tatum's got to carry the load. He's got to carry the load. We'll see what happens. Tip-off time an hour and a half from now, 8.30. thirty. will come in tomorrow. We'll have plenty to talk about. We're going to be joined tomorrow by Mike Mutnanski, by Mutt over at WEEI. Remember, he's on the uh, Red Sox pregame show. Mutt's going to be with us. We'll talk some Celtics. We'll talk some Sox. And uh, we'll ask him if he thinks everything we saw this weekend is real as the Sox get ready for the White Sox. So that'll do it for us. Go find the full show podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. Well, Here we go. Must win game for the C's in game four. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. It's Pretty Farkas show here on WDEV. Remember, WDEV at 90 with Jack Donovan. That's next.